Welcome to Practical Christian Living. With fervent desire, I have desired. Do you notice that using the same word twice? He's really saying to them strongly, I have wanted to eat this meal with you guys. He wanted to have communion with them. And I believe that there is a way in which Jesus wants to have communion with us as well. Jesus desires that we remember the price that was paid for each and every one of us. God's precious lamb, his son, crucified on a cross so he could pay the price and be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. This is why we partake in communion, to remember that we have been redeemed and we belong to a loving Savior who desires to be our closest, most intimate friend. We're in Luke 22 as we look at Jesus' Last Supper appointment with his disciples. Here's Robert Furrow. Passover is a lot like Easter. It's a floating date. It's different every year. Passover was the same way. When Jesus, in the last week of his life, gathered together there on what we believe was a Thursday with his 12 disciples, he had arranged for them to have an upper room. Remember, they were supposed to go and arrange for it. He had to make sure that Judas wouldn't use this as an opportunity for him to be taken. Because remember, Judas is looking for an opportunity to betray him. But Jesus wants to wrap things up with his disciples. He's got to dismiss Judas to do what Judas is going to do. He's going to talk to, to Peter about denying him. He's going to wash the disciples' feet, which is giving them an example of humility. He's got a lot to talk to them about. And he also has to pray a prayer we find in John chapter 17. But when he gathers together with him, as near as we can tell, one of the first things that he does is to begin the Passover meal. And we've had at our church before Passover meals that you guys could attend. And we talk about how each part of the Passover is significant to Christ. And so here you have Jesus leading a Passover meal with his disciples. But it was radically different than anything they had ever experienced before. In fact, I wonder if any of the disciples thought, he doesn't know how to do a Passover meal. Or maybe because he's done them before, maybe he forgot how to do a Passover meal. Because Jesus starts off with something completely different than they normally would do. Let's read the first few verses here and then we'll get into some distinct things about it. In Luke 22, we're going to start in verse 14. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The first thing that we note is that this first communion service was a Passover meal. A Passover was a holiday. It was a festival. It had been set up to remember that God had delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. And you remember that the last plague was the death of the firstborn. And God told the children of Israel, really Egyptians could have done it as well, that if they would take a Passover lamb, bring it into their house, they would kill it on that night. They would prepare it and eat it that evening and they would take the blood from that lamb that they had slaughtered and they would smear it around their door that the death angel would pass over. We learn in Hebrews chapter 11 that they had to do this by faith. They had to believe it. First of all, they had to believe that their 
oldest son or their firstborn was in trouble. That if they didn't do it, that he would die. Secondly, they had to believe that if they smeared the blood on the door, that the death angel would pass over. And by faith, they did it. If someone didn't believe it, if they thought this is silly, how is smearing blood on the door going to save my firstborn? I'm not going to do it. Then their firstborn would have died. Maybe there's someone who did it. And I, I've talked about this when I talk about faith. Maybe there's some that did it and they did it kind of hesitantly. Maybe they didn't think it was really going to do anything, but they smeared the blood anyway. And that was enough faith. You know, Jesus talks about the mustard seed of faith. That was enough faith for that death angel to pass over. Maybe somebody did it very confidently knowing I'm saving my firstborn and smeared that blood on there, which is great confidence. It wasn't the confidence that allowed the death angel to pass over. It was the obedience to what God said. By faith, we do what God says. And here at this Passover supper where they're remembering the death angel passing over, Jesus is going to institute a new a memorial. They are in a memorial meal. And Jesus is going to institute another memorial meal. But it's not all that disconnected because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the Bible tells us in another place that Jesus is the Passover Lamb. He is the Lamb that is killed. His blood is smeared on our doorpost, as it were, so that the death angel passes over and you and I don't face death. We are given eternal life because of that. So it's not a surprise to us that it's at this Passover dinner that they set down that it is now going to be changed. No longer remembering what was done in their delivery from slavery from Egypt, but now the Passover meal will be us remembering that we have been delivered from sin, that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. We all should die, but because of what Jesus did for us, then we don't have to. Uh, so, okay, so this is the Passover meal. They're changing it now. It's going to be a, a memorial for the new Passover. It's, not, it's still a Passover meal, but it's completely new now because it's us being set free from sin rather than them being set free from slavery. And so Jesus says in verse 15, then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover before I suffer. Our English doesn't have really words to describe the passion that Jesus uses when he says this. With fervent desire, I have desired. Do you notice that using the same word twice? He's really saying to them strongly, I have wanted to eat this meal with you guys. He wanted to have communion with them. And I believe that there is a way in which Jesus wants to have communion with us as well, that he desires for us to gather together and to remember that work that was done for us. For them, this would be a complete and total change. Listen to what 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21 says. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, our redemption didn't come from corruptible things like silver and gold, for your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as the lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundations of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believing in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope may be in God. We were not redeemed by silver and gold. We weren't redeemed by green stamps. Remember that for those of you who are old enough, 
but we were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He gave his blood for us so that we could be forgiven. And so he says to them, I have desired to have this Passover with you guys because he knows that at this Passover, everything is going to change. So in verse 16, he says, for I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I have desired to eat this Passover with you. I will no longer eat of it until I eat it with you in the kingdom of God. This tells us that we are going to have a Passover meal with Jesus in the future. Some believe that it will be more like communion than it will be like Passover. I don't know. Who knows? We'll know when we get there. It'll certainly be unique. And I can tell you this, it will be the greatest communion service you guys have ever had. And if you've experienced Passover before, it will be the greatest Passover that you have ever had. Jesus says, I'm not eating this meal again until the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is after the tribulation period and the establishment of the millennial period where we will rule and reign with Christ in a world that is exactly what God wanted the world to be. And in that time, we will partake of either Passover with him, whether it's communion Passover or whether it's Passover as in the Jewish Passover, we don't really know. But he says, I will no longer eat this. This is the last time that I'm going to eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he says in verse 16, then he took the cup and in the Passover meal, if you've ever taken one, there are several different cups and they represent different things that have to do with them being delivered out of Egypt. Then he took the cup. He gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come so now Jesus says, I'm not even going to drink of the fruit of the vine. The fruit of the vine is wine. I'm not going to drink wine until the kingdom comes. It, it's not until that day. He's letting them know there is a distinct change that is happening here. And something is happening different with me. But I am going to be with you again. And I am going to drink of the fruit of the vine with you one day again. He may very well just be saying the same thing in a different way. I will not drink of this cup. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine, the cup of Passover, until I do it with you in the kingdom of God. He may be saying the same exact thing to them again. It says in verse 19, he then took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're told here why we're supposed to take communion. We're taking communion in order to remember Jesus. What's happening when we take the elements? There are those within Catholicism who believe in transubstantiation. And I think we should talk about exactly what that means, that so we can just have clarity about what transubstantiation is and why we don't believe it. Now, they believe that the elements, the actual bread and the wine, after being blessed by a priest, turns into the body and the blood of Jesus. If you were to talk to someone the way they wrote about it, a thousand years ago, then you would get a completely different picture than what they say today. They are not saying that once the priest blesses it, it becomes Jesus's DNA. They're not saying once you put it into your mouth that it becomes Jesus's DNA. There are people that have taught that. There are priests who have taught that. It was the official church stance for a while. The Catholic church it was their official stance for a while. But people would take it out. They would take it, walk over to their seat, 
and to take it out believing that they had the body and the blood of Jesus because it had been blessed by a priest and it had been given to them. And then they went and did all kinds of weird things with it. And now when you press them, they do not believe that it becomes the blood and the body of Christ after the priest blesses it. They don't believe it after you take it. They don't believe it when it goes down into your stomach. But they believe as your body begins to assimilate it, that it becomes the body and the blood of Jesus. The Bible never says that. Jesus says, this is my body that is broken to you. Do this in remembrance of me. It is symbolic. Now, are there believers who can believe that? Certainly. The Bible never says, if you believe in transubstantiation, then you're never going to go to heaven. I did a hot topic here recently. There's something that we do on YouTube. There are little videos that we do on YouTube. And I did a hot topic called why I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. One of the responses that I got on YouTube was, you know, one of these days you guys are going to find out you're not even saved. So it's funny because he was a, a post-tribulation guy. He believes everything we believe, everything we believe, except a seven-year difference in when the rapture is going to happen. <laughs> and I'm not saved because I believe it's seven years earlier than what he believes. It isn't what we believe sometimes that will keep us out of heaven. It's what we don't believe. The question is, is whether or not as a Catholic, have you trusted in Christ? Have you received him as your savior? Do you believe in him? Have you been born again? Has the Holy Spirit taken up residence inside of you? And if he has, then you will go to heaven. You will not be kept out of heaven because you're a Catholic and you will not go to heaven because you're a Catholic. You will not be kept out of heaven because you're a Baptist. You will not go to heaven because you're a Baptist. You will not be kept out of heaven because you're a Calvary Chapelite. You will not go to heaven because you're a Calvary Chapelite. It is because of your interaction with Jesus. And that is what is important. Now, Martin Luther, of course, he's the one who posted the 95 thesis, 95 different things that he found that he disagreed with the Catholic Church in his days, and some of them were severe. He believed in consubstantiation. So he believed that the presence was in the elements, that it didn't literally become the DNA of Jesus. It didn't literally become the body and the blood of Christ, but that it was his presence was in the actual communion. And I tell you what, if you want to hear people call heretic, then say, I think that Jesus is present in the elements and people will flip out. I don't know whether it's a true statement. In, in fact, I would lean towards it not being. That in the elements themselves, that once we pray for them, that Jesus literally is in the presence of the elements. So we are taking Jesus in his presence into our body when we take communion. That's what Martin Luther believed. But here I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to border on the, the edge of, um, of being heretical for some. But I believe that when we take communion, Jesus is with us in a special way. I believe his presence is here with us. Understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that I believe that his presence is in the elements in a special way and that when we take the elements, we're bringing Jesus into our lives. I think that, well, well, we know that there's no place that you can go to hide from the presence of God, right? No place you can go. But we also know that uh, when we gather together, Jesus is here in a special way. Where two or three of you gather together, I am in your midst. Well, he's got to be in our midst here tonight in a special way than just normal. And when we take communion, what would make us think that he wouldn't be here in even a more special way? He's certainly here in a unique way and that we're remembering his death, 
his body and the blood that was shed for us and that was broken. And I believe that there is something special. Now, I don't know whether someone's going to call me a heretic for that or not. Maybe, but I'll take a risk because I don't find anything in the scriptures that tell us that that's not the case. In fact, I would even kind of lean more over the other way. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. When we gather together to take communion, I believe that he is here in a special way. So he broke the bread and he gave it to them. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And that's what communion is. We are remembering the body that was broken for us. We're remembering that Jesus was scourged. We're remembering that he was crucified. We're remembering that it was a sacrifice for us, that our sins could be forgiven. Likewise, verse 20, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And so likewise, we are to remember this, but there's something very specific about the cup. It is a covenant cup. In the Old Testament, we are given the covenant of the law. And I've said over and over again that I'm really glad that we are not under the old covenant. I'm glad that we don't have the dietary restrictions, which tells you that I'm a foodie to the max, by the way. I'm glad that we're not restricted by the things that are in the law. I'm glad we're not restricted by the Sabbath. They couldn't travel more than whatever it was, a distance, about a quarter of a mile. They couldn't travel any further than that. Today, the people that rewrite the Sabbath and then tell us that we're breaking it because we meet together on Sunday rather than Saturday do not keep the Sabbath as it was taught under the law. I would respect them more if they did. If they said the Ten Commandments say, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, we're going to keep it like the law says, but they don't. They rewrite it and say keeping the Sabbath means going to church on Saturday. Where does it say that in the Bible? You say that the scriptures are your authority. Where does it say that? If you're going to keep the Sabbath, then you better keep it like it's written. You better do all of the things the Bible says that you don't do on the Sabbath. Now, there are those that have taken it too far. You can go to Israel today and whole cities, Jerusalem especially, will shut down on the Sabbath day. And if there's a Jewish person that keeps their restaurant open on Saturday, they will be called a Sabbath breaker, just like in the old days. You Sabbath breaker. When we were, the last time we were in Tiberias, which is by, it's actually a couple of trips ago, but we were by Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. And uh, Tiberias is a city that's there. We wanted to go get something to eat on uh, Friday night. And our guide said, I know a couple Sabbath breakers here. It's literally what he said. I could send you that way. We went and we had a great steak at a Sabbath breaker restaurant. But that was the old covenant. And now things are changing. He's going to move away from the old covenant. You say, when did we move from keeping the law to not having to keep the law? Right here. When Jesus gave them the cup of his new covenant. Now, Moses, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel had all talked about the new covenant. Ezekiel had said that God's going to take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That God's going to fill you with the spirit that you are going to be made into a new person. All of this is what salvation is today. You and I are not saved by keeping the law. The law is weak in that it cannot save you. The law isn't bad. The law is good, but the law is weak in that it cannot save you. And even the sacrifices, we're only looking forward to the main sacrifice that was given by Jesus. 
The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, the blood of bulls and goats can never save you. And so we have a high priest, a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, who has given a sacrifice for us that our sins would be forgiven. And here Jesus is closing the book on the law. Moses opened up the book on the law. Jesus closed it. Jesus said, behold, I tell you the truth, not one jot or tittle of the law will be done away with until it is fulfilled. Meaning when it's finished. And so you and I, I keep the Sabbath because Jesus has become my Sabbath. Hebrews chapter four. He has become my high priest. I don't need a high priest. I don't need a high priest that's a man who's gonna die. I have a high priest forever by the order of Melchizedek and it's Jesus. I don't need to make a sacrifice anymore for my sins because there was one sacrifice given that is forever. And that's the blood of a man who was spotless and perfect and who died upon that cross that my sins could be forgiven. So this is the cup of the new covenant. Jesus said to his disciples, a new covenant I give to you, John 13, 34, by the way, John 13, 34, a new covenant I give to you that you love one another. That's what the new covenant is about. We read that in Romans, we read it in Galatians, that all of the law and all of the prophets is fulfilled in this, that we love one another. No wonder the Bible says, above all things, have a fervent love for one another. What matters to God the most is that we love one another. Ephesians 4:32, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. He loved us, therefore we love him. We have fellowship with him and the fellowship that we have with him brings us into eternal life. That is the new covenant. Jesus prayed in John 17, three, this same night, later on this same night, and this is eternal life, that you know the one true God and the son who he sent. This is the new covenant that you and I have and we are no longer under the old covenant. And this is something we don't generally bring up during communion. It's something that, I don't know what it was, four or five communions ago, we take it once a month, four or five communions ago, it dawned on me. This is a covenant that we're, we're remembering, the, the new covenant. And it's good for us to focus on that when we take communion, remembering that this is the cup of the new covenant. It is by his blood that our sins are forgiven and that we enter into eternity with him and we are celebrating that. I think it's important for us to remember as well as we look at this, that this is the only ritual that Jesus gave us that we would do over and over again. We are religious people, meaning that we, we love Jesus, we love God, but we have a relationship with Christ. And it's not about religious, it's not about rituals. This is the only one. Jesus didn't even tell us how often to do it. He simply said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Again, remembrance, that is what it is about. When we do this, as often as we do this, we are to do this in remembrance of him. A few things about communion in closing. Number one, it is, first of all, a covenant cup. We always wanna remember that. This is the new covenant. What's a covenant? It's kind of a contract. God made a contract with us that if we would believe in him, that we would have our sins forgiven, that if we would invite him in and receive him into our lives, that we would be transformed. That's the covenant that we have with him. And the cup of the covenant 
is the blood that ransoms us from our sins. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.